0: Welcome to Conversamos. My name is Francisco Escobar, and I'm the host and content creator of this network, Latin Entertainment. Today we're discussing financial literacy and the stock market. Tune in as four people from vast backgrounds discuss the pros, cons, and outcomes of these two dynamics. All here on Conversamos.
1: Yeah, yo, is it that wrong? I'm making a song, taking it back for the platform that i formed. helping me transform.
0: Now the first question to the panelists, what events have led you to be financially literate?
2: Um, I majored in finance um, and my wife, uh, who is a teacher also, um, you know, a few years back before we got engaged, she had just made a comment. She's like, hey, you know, when are your bills due? And, you know, about how much money do you have in the account, in your bank account? So like most people, I told her, oh, you know, the bills get paid every month. And, you know, I have X amount of dollars in my bank account. And she told me, great. She goes, you're a finance major who can't tell me when the bills are due and how much money you have in your account to the penny. And I was just like, naturally, she knew how to get to me. So uh, that kind of sparked a small confrontation. And that following weekend, we booked, got to a coffee shop and really just kind of hashed out a budget, like making, looking at every dollar that got spent, what went in, and how much went out. So, you know, me being a finance major thought I knew it all. That kind of just was a call to action for me to kind of wake up and realize that I didn't. And then the second part is my work experience. So I've always worked in consumer finance and on the regulatory side, I would audit, uh, you know, small businesses, small loan companies, loan companies that you probably see when you're walking to the grocery store, um, credit access businesses, such as like payday loans, title loans. And while I was on that side, I I would just ask myself like, why are people, signing up for this like you know you look at the terms you look at the amount of income they make the communities they target very similar to everybody that's on this um on this zoom meeting and it kind of just made me ask the question okay well if it's targeting this area then the common factor has to be a lack of financial literacy and and that's really what's gotten me to kind of just take this deeper dive on personal finance
0: thank you and simone
3: was actually coming back from Ecuador because I did um, high school over in Ecuador. So I was coming from Ecuador to the United States and in Ecuador, I feel like uh, I had a general awareness of like the things that my family was facing with Ecuador going through dollarization, multiple political coups, like all of these different things. Um, But I didn't really fully understand like the financial divide between Ecuador and the United States. So when I came here as an adult, I was kind of able to put the pieces together and just realized, like, how much catching up we had to do and my family had to do. So that was a really big thing. Also, being in college, um, like, I knew that I was on the Pell Grant, but I didn't know what the Pell Grant was. So once I realized that and I realized, like, what kind of financial position I was in, that definitely changed things. And, like, I didn't really have anybody that I could ask for help because my mom was very financially illiterate. So I had to figure out everything by myself, like a lot of my peers. Um... And that was definitely like an experience, but now like I'm able to speak on it and like educate a lot of my family members and things like that about loans and about things related to school. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's been very, very interesting too.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much. And Christopher?
4: Uh, I think that the events that led for me to become more financially literate was realizing that there just um, was a point where I was finally able to kind of have access to resources to really educate myself beyond um, kind of what my, because I live in a rural area in Palmdale, it's called Lake Los Angeles. And um, if, if you ever like search up Lake Los Angeles, it's like a really little community and the amount of resources that are accessible to us are very small. It takes us 45 minutes to get into town just to be able to like buy food. So I think growing up knowing that there weren't a lot of resources available and then transitioning into being able to go into higher education and learning that I was also Pell Grant eligible, but also not having my parents be able to support me financially to be able to have somewhere to live over there and working for myself and understanding what certain loans meant, what other ones were doing by like unsubsidized, subsidized loans. It really it really led me to be interested in the world of finances. Mm-hmm. And then I remember growing up a lot of the time, my dad would tell me, you know, el crédito nunca se presta a nadie and like telling me that like credit is really important and that at a certain extent, that's all you are to someone. You're just a credit score and like your whole liability, everything you're pretty much just a credit score. So I recall that a lot of my time um, remembering that remembering that like in higher education and what really led me to um, kind of start this journey with like financial literacy was really like understanding what these loans meant, what it meant to first gen low income students in higher education and learning that a lot of us were taking out loans without really knowing that we had to pay them back. And we had heard that There were repayment options, but we didn't realize that it took 10 to almost 20 years like working outside in certain positions to get them to get repayment back on loans. And that even during the Obama era, when he passed that repayment option, that now in the presidency of Trump, uh, those, you know, loan forgiveness and that whole conversation, he hasn't really touched on it. So what does that mean for first gen low income folks or just you know, people that have student loans in general. So that really led me to start questioning what the institution itself is doing to really support students and those that have large amounts of debt and are working to consolidate it. And what does that mean when they've already consolidated their their finances, but they have families and now their families are liable for these things too. So it just it really impacted me because it started making me question like this is a never ending cycle of just wealth mongering and just financial deficits everywhere. But also learning that there's a lot of resilience in these communities that don't have this knowledge and how can they put that re- resiliency also with financial literacy to work and I really want to work on Bridging that gap.
1: Um, but yeah, so growing up, um, I didn't really learn a lot of financial literacy. Um, my mom wasn't very financially literate. Uh, dad died when I was 12, so she kind of took over the finances. Um, I tried to learn a little bit, but there was really no, I think it's just that disconnect between um, adult versus child. The child wants to learn, but the adult doesn't necessarily want you to know what's going on with what whatever money situation may be going on. So I never really learned about that. So, um, you know. I, it was something that I kind of struggled with growing up. Didn't really have an understanding of it. And got to college, um, you know, got my one credit card and then just kind of used used it what I needed to use it for. But obviously, um, as things progressed and I got to law school, there were things that I needed that were a bit more expensive, like law books and things like that. So the expenses kind of added up. And then I um, met my wife and then she kind of turned me around in terms of the financial literacy. And then it probably wasn't until recently, I'd probably say about... Maybe four or five years ago, I really kind of delved into the stock market and um, I really spent a lot of time reading books. And I mean, ultimately, that's the only way you're going to really learn anything as well as practice. And so that's something that I really um, kind of took to heart. Just I read a lot and I, I just read a whole lot of books <laughs> and I started to get a hang of it and I started to get an understanding of it. And then um, as I grew to understand it a little bit more, I wanted to be able to, um, I guess, teach others or provide knowledge to others as well as, um, you know, learn from other people. And so what I did was I kind of did like a WhatsApp group between uh, friends as well as um, fraternity brothers. And I just kind of had this dialogue going and we learned from each other in terms of what stocks to invest, what to look for and things like that. And it's just been kind of growing from there. And so, you know, um, it's something that you just, you kind of like plant a seed and in terms of uh, financial literacy, and then you just got to make sure that you water it and you really, you got to constantly learn. Because ultimately, you know, if you get a home, you don't necessarily know. Well, okay, you know, you're paying so much on the principal, um, but a lot of it's going to the interest. But then, with the interest rates falling down, maybe it's time to get to get a refinance on your mortgage, so you're paying more to your principal versus the interest. And on top of that, um, you know, ensuring that you're making um, some extra payments if you can on the principal, so you make your month-to-month payments, and then at, towards the end of the year, you got a little bit left over that you can spend. Maybe some money you got in the stock market, you you, you plow, plow it into your um, into your mortgage and, sorry, you you plow it into your mortgage and you make sure that you get the principal down. And over time, that will really help you with um, ultimately becoming uh, financially independent and owning a home. So there's a lot of little things you can learn and a lot of things that um, you, can, you can gain in terms of knowledge and especially in investing when you um, spread the knowledge and learn from other people.
2: Um, so I, I guess um, kind of what, what I heard everybody else say too is like And what I've learned from talking to peers and kind of reading books is just like money is very taboo. Like, you know, it's very hard to want to talk about it with your family because growing up, you know, as a you know, the whole parent child complex, you you just don't ask, hey, mom, how are your finances doing? How much money do we really have? And then too, as a kid, you know, you you probably really don't know much. Um, But now being on this side, I've noticed uh, that same taboo is still here with my peers, you know, and I'm 34 years old. And, you know, I still have friends that find it hard to talk about insurance, uh, investing into your retirement accounts, um, paying down your mortgage faster, like, like Chris said earlier, or just making sure you're getting the best pricing and terms on whatever product, car loan, wh- whatever it is that you're getting. Uh, but for me, it's definitely we kind of have to make the subject easier to talk about because right now, you know, people are very resistant to talk about it. And when they're very resistant to talk, they're also very resistant to listen. Um, so to me, I just think it's being more comfortable knowledgeable like what a lot of uh, people have mentioned on here and just being confident because if you're confident in, in you know knowing about certain products people are going to come to you as as a source of knowledge and, and you know you're kind of able you know being on the other side having read and understanding loan products and, and being financially literate you're kind of able to reach one teach one so you know maybe what you thought was a certain you know for example um my credit card i can pay it back in payments you know that that is true but also, what's not true is that, you know, you just don't have to pay back what you paid. You also have to pay back interest. And a lot of people tend to kind of miss that part. So I just think being able to clarify small things like that really kind of just helps like catapult people past, you know, what they used to know or what they thought they knew.
0: Yeah, thank, thank you for sharing. And Simona? Simone?
3: I think for me, the biggest part of being like more financially literate, I guess, has been more like societal kind of things where I've been like, like there's a saying that we have in Spanish that it's like, el pobre es pobre porque quiere. Like somebody is poor because they want to, like they don't work hard enough. But it's like the fact is that now that I'm more financially literate, like I understand the systems that like make people stay in low income situations and what makes neighborhoods underfunded. Like, things that are more, like, structural, that, like, this isn't somebody's fault that they're financially illiterate. Like, it's literally a divide between, like, countries, between classes that, like, creating class solidarity and things like that, to me, has become probably one of the most important things. That it's, like, especially being in spaces of higher education, where, like, we have proximity to people who have generational wealth, like, the type of generational wealth where they can, like, build libraries and stuff like that, like... I don't know. I feel like that's been a really big part of it and learning how to tap into those circles and be like, look, like you need to redistribute this wealth and things like that. Um, I've been questioning a lot, like the idea of landlords and also (laughs) with everything that's happening right now, being like, "Okay, like, why do you need to have somebody be paying off your mortgage? Like, like, what is the system and how is this working? Like, is this something that we need? Like, do people need to be paying for where their house housed?" Or is this just another system of oppression that we could all just kind of be not thinking about it that way and not having people have to, like, I don't know, just give up so much of their income to be able to survive. So that's been a really big part of financial literacy and really, like, stopping, excuse me, putting the blame on people for the financial situations that they're in and also being like, okay, like, if I do achieve... mobility in my lifetime or the opportunity to tap into more wealth maybe or wealth period (laughs) like how am I going to do that in an equitable way where I'm not putting somebody else into poverty or exploiting their labor
1: Um, and just to kind of comment a little bit on what Oscar touched on was the fact that while yes, money can be sort of taboo, I don't think necessarily spreading knowledge and how you can prosper with your money is necessarily taboo. I think, um, you know, a lot of the things that where the taboo stems from is basically uh, people don't like, don't want to talk about how much money they have. And I can understand that No no one wants to put their business out there, but I think when it comes to actually learning, um, you know, I think people are just kind of afraid to ask for help. So one of the things that I I try to do is I I try to throw out the knowledge there and see who's willing to to jump on it and be be like, I'm interested. Why don't we join this group? Or how about we join together and figure out whether or not we can create a little bit more wealth amongst each other by sharing our knowledge. And I think when it comes a lot to um, spending, um, I think some of my deals stem from um, what are your needs versus your wants? So do you need something or do you want something? And so um, when I look at it in, uh, in the, on that basis, I start to review in terms of what, what my purchases actually mean to me in my life. So if I'm, I just simply need something, chances are I'm going to sit there and I'm going to really think about whether or not, whether or not I want to actually purchase it because am I really going to use this as much as, a, as, as I want to or is it something that I'm just going to have toy around with, have some fun that brings a little bit more meaning to my life versus actually developing more of a skill. And being able to grow off that skill, and being able to use that to be able to create a little bit more wealth for myself. And so, um, you know, th- th- those are the types of things that I look at when I- when I'm trying to think about what what I exactly need in my life in terms of prosperity. And you know, a lot of um, prosperity doesn't necessarily have to come from money. It has to. It can come from things that bring you joy. So, say for instance, you have some sort of hobby that you think that you might you might be able to make money off it. You shouldn't look at it as trying to make money from it. You should look at it. Okay, I'm gonna build upon this interest that I have. And in turn, once I grow that interest, perhaps I'll, once I learn a little bit more about the particular business and say you like, I don't know, um, um, just creating things and, or you want to do filmmaking or things like that, you just delve yourself into it. You learn about the business and you do it for fun. You meet people. And then from there you create your little, um, your little organization in terms of people that, you know. And you're able to build that and grow from it so that you're able to create a little bit more, um, planting a little bit more seeds, so to speak, in terms of what you're able to grow in terms of your own prosperity.
0: I like that. I like that a lot. And Janet?
4: Uh, yeah, So I also kind of agree with Simone or Simone. Um, I think that as financially literate people, we should just be kind of um, not only sharing information, but also being critical about the information that we're sharing with, you know, children, youth, and relatives, and just really like our loved ones and anyone. Just because I think right now, even, uh, you know, Simona also touching on it on like rent and like even having a place to live, and really, what does it mean when there isn't that distribution of wealth going on where people are, you know sharing money amongst themselves and like being able to look out for one another, like being financially literate, I think also offers us the opportunity to see what we can do and how are we engaging with these systems that are like are oppressing us and what we can also do with one another to kind of also use those systems to our our advantage. So even how they're in solid, um, up here in uh, Northern California, there's uh, a lot of projects going on where mothers that are houseless are occupying homes that you know aren't um, being rented or like mortgaged to people, and how other people are coming in solidarity and uh, protecting them. And I know that it's not directly impacted. Um, too much with financial literacy i think it is important to just uh share with children and like youth and like even with our loved ones that just because someone doesn't have money it doesn't mean that they're not working hard enough you know i think most of the um, hardest working people like that we often see don't get paid the most so what's happening in their lives where we can also contribute something to them and just kind of like how christopher mentioned and also oscar and like um just about the taboo that's behind but also not taboo and like people wanting to share like their personal information like I know that that's not something that like a lot of people want to talk about but I think that it needs to happen um, especially like concerning like housing just because I think that right now a lot of banks are very um, very giving right now to give loans to people regardless of how the economic situation is happening and I think that um, not a lot of people know that right now they're estimating houses to be a lot worth more than a lot more than what they are. And what ends up happening is that people that are in these houses end up paying large interest rates. And then that ends up leading to people not being able to have fixed prices on their housing. And then it creates this whole housing pretty much like kind of like a disaster because people end up losing their houses. And this is happening a lot to Latinx and Black folk and like, you know, Afro Latinos and it's happening a lot to these populations because there's a lot of there isn't that much information going around with what that really means when their house gets estimated to a larger amount than what it is. But yeah, I think it's like important to share that.
0: Thank you, Janet. And now for our next question as Oscar and Christopher are actually active in the stock market. And this is just out of curiosity, Janet, um are you active in the stock market just for this one question? Yes. Oh, perfect. So you, you can go after them too. Um, so, yes, what what is the stock market and what are the pros and cons to be aware of when investing?
2: So the stock market is basically just is a marketplace where investors and buyers come to exchange, buy and sell shares in publicly traded companies. Um, a pro, before I get to the pros and cons, I just think that I think everybody's hit on self-education, right? That's the point of financial literacy. Um, I think a lot of people our age and and our parents and other members in our community, they don't always understand the options that they have to get into the market. You know, a lot of individuals think, oh, it's just, hey, you know, Walmart's publicly traded. I go to Walmart. I'm going to buy Walmart, for example, at at $10, and then I'm going to sell Walmart for $25, and then I'll make a profit depending on the number of shares I got. And you know, that's a very simplistic example, but conceptually that that is kind of what people think when you ask them what the stock market is or what the strategy is. Um, but there's also other ways to get into it that's more low risk because you know, if you have somebody who's a stock expert and has all day to to kind of just do the analysis paralysis on, on a company's you know balance sheet and understand ratios, then they have an advantage. But for many people um, that work in public service, police officers, firemen, um, teachers, um, you know, maybe they're not so savvy and, and technically savvy. I mean for, for the stock market and maybe they, they just don't have the energy and time to invest in that. So what I personally like to do is I, I do index funds. Um, and basically an index fund is, is a pool of stocks in, in one basket. Um, there's different, different, um, ETFs, um, mutual funds you can invest in and they also tend to, have a lower cost. So you don't always need to have $5,000, $6,000, $1,000 to get into the market. You can do so with as little as $500 you know, invested um, and invest $100 every month. Um, you'll make money over time. You'll pay less in cost. Um, and for a long-term strategy like me, that tends to align more with my values. Um, a Cons, um, it gets emotional. People lose their shirt when the market's down. People want to sell, sell, sell. And, you know, they don't kind of don't understand that sometimes that's that's when the sharks come out. And, you know, while you're looking to sell, people are getting things on sale at, at a steal. So um, I definitely say a con would be sometimes uh, being emotionally driven.
1: Um, and in simplistic terms, I would say the stock market would be um, a vehicle to take money from the impatient and grow wealth for the patient. OK, um, it's going to take a lot of um, study studying to be able to understand. All the terms that go on in the stock market, I mean, if you just plow yourself into it and think that you're going to make money, chances are you're going to lose money because you're going to start trying to um, grab a trend, throw money in it, see if you can make a quick buck, and next thing you know it's going to the stock that particular stock that you purchase is going to tank okay and that's that's really something that's a problem right now, um especially in the, in the stock market because you have a lot of uh, well, pretty much almost all the brokerages now um, have removed commissions, okay? And so what that, that does is it basically creates um, an individual who has a certain pool of money that can now just plow money in the, into the stock, take it out within it without any commission and feel like they can just keep doing that because they're not going to be taking out a certain percentage of what they actually trade, okay? Um, so you, you got you to gotta make sure that you're very educated when you're, when you're um, looking into a particular stock. Now, in terms, of, you really, in terms of how you want to grow your wealth, you're going to have to look at exactly what you want your money to do, okay? Are you looking for income growth? Are you looking to just make a profit, be a day trader? Are you looking to find that next big stock that might be the next Apple, next Amazon? It, it takes a lot of work to be able to delve into the financials and look to see how, what, what this prospective company may have that has a, some sort of key to the future, whether it be you know, um, certain technology that's intuitive, um, you know, if you if you looked way back in the day with Intuit and their surgical systems, you know, people pretty much laughed at it when they were sitting around a dollar per share. Next thing you know, it's going towards a thousand. You know, a couple years ago, and then they go for a stock split, and then they 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 go from there. Okay, but if you're looking for income, you know, it's something that I also kind of explained to my younger sister because she's not really financially literate, and she's also kind of going through that late 20s, early 30s type of stage where she wants to hang out with her friends, go to the bars, and when you know she hits a rut and she's unable to pay her rent. I tell her, I'm like, look, you know, if you would have looked at your financial situation from a little bit different perspective and, and you just looked at it from, just say you want, you want to invest, and you want to create income in your life, all right? To be able to maybe put a little bit of a buffer between you and that next rental payment that you might miss just because of whatever unforeseen circumstances. So let's just say you buy a stock, ABC stock, trading at like 30, bu- 30 bucks a share and it's giving like a $3 dividend, okay? And you think it's kind of, it's pretty stable, it's gonna be able to sustain it and so you buy a hundred shares, okay? So that's going to be $300 a quarter that you receive, okay? So that's going to be $1,200 in four quarters. So let's just say your rent's about 1100 bucks. okay? You run into a little rut, and then you're able to pay your rent based upon the dividends unless you want to, and if you don't have to use that money, then guess what? You can take that money, invest that money into another dividend-making stock if you're income-driven, or you can determine, hey, you know what? I want to risk a little bit of it on this biotech company that I think that's going to that's gonna create great products later on down the line. And so you invest it in there and then you see how it goes and you make sure you have a long-term view on it, that you believe in that stock because there's going to be some major up and downs in the market, especially nowadays. Things are going to rocket, things are going to tank. It just depends on how it's connected to the market. If it's connected to China, guess what? Any sort of tensions that are connected to the US and China, that's going to tank the stock. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to sell that stock because you have to look at the perspective of, okay, what's going to happen after the tensions alleviate? Is that stock going to go back up because it was just, it was just tanking simply due to the fact that there were tensions between the US and China. Well, okay then, then I believe in the stock and I'm going to stick with it. And maybe I'll put a little bit more money into it because ultimately you put what you can risk. Okay. You don't want to put any more money that you're, you don't feel comfortable or just completely losing, okay? Because if you look at it from that perspective, if you have put it in there, you expect to lose it, but you're, you're basically investing in companies that you believe in to see how it works out in the end, then great. But otherwise, you should not be investing in individual stocks and you should do um, a little bit something um, different, such as maybe doing mutual funds, or maybe exchange traded funds. I mean, look, even nowadays, you can get you can get fractions of shares from like Apple if you can't, you can't afford it on Charles Schwab. So, I mean, there's a lot of different options that you can look at in terms of actually investing in the stock market, and it's just really a matter of education and determining what is right for your particular situation and how you want your money to grow in the future.
4: Uh, thank you both for sharing. Uh, prior to this, um I think I'm not a professional at stocks just yet. Or anything like Christopher and Oscar but I would say uh, one thing that um, you both touched on that I really also like uh, was interested on in, um, kind of being like critical about uh, considering uh, the populations that I tend to talk to is uh, the taboo that's kind of behind stock markets and um, I think that for a lot of like uh, low income and just communities of color, when you invest into these things, there's this thing that you're never ever gonna get your money back. And that why would you ever invest uh, your money into something like that? Because at that point you're just gambling and it's always a gamble. Uh, But I think that um, uh, self-education and like reading a lot of books or just like even a lot of YouTubers that, you know, being critical about their, also their positionality is very important. Um, I personally like only use Robinhood And I know that, like, um, only a couple people ever use that, and it's an app. And I think that, um, like, even by me using that, um, I had a little bit of knowledge about what I was learning in school and, like, my political economics and, like, methods course. And I went into kind of just playing around, like, buying, like, how Christopher mentioned, like, dividends and, like, learning what each thing was and making sure, like, uh, I just keep on track and, like not letting the sharks get to me when something gets rough. So I know I, I'm not completely, like, you know, like a full professional, like with stocks. One thing that I would mention is just, like, people shouldn't really be too scared to even buy little shares or, like, little dividends, because I think that uh, eventually you finally start being able to, like, know what everything means and just finally being able to get a point to like, where do you even buy stock? Because uh, I used to remember hearing people talk about the stock market and where should people buy stuff and just the pros and cons about it. But I think one of the pros is like being able to learn what people have been doing for a long time to gain generational wealth. And a con would be being wary of also like not letting your feelings in the midst of everything get to you and just knowing um, just to see it through. And whatever way that means to you, if it's for you, it means pulling up before the economy, like, gets really bad or the stock market, like, crashes, you know? So, yeah. um,
1: Ultimately in the market, you have your bulls and your bears. Okay. The people who are completely bullish that are, they want to make all the money that they can based upon the stock and the bears who are ultimately trying to snag your shares at a lower price to cover and potentially purchase those shares. Okay. So you're always going to have that back and forth the struggle with who's going to want to take the shares from, from the person who gets afraid of and start selling those particular shares. Okay. But one of the things that people really need to understand with the market is it's a changed game. Okay. Because people refer all the time to market makers. You know what market makers are? They're basically algorithms. They're computers that are designed to scare people into selling their shares, causing a panic, or because there's some bit of news that makes, you know, that that may have like some sort of trend line that comes across, I don't know, the the various different um, websites like Seeking Alpha or or Motley Fool. You know, and and the, the most important thing really is just to, understand dig through the financials because ultimately you can listen to some analysts and you can listen to them and you can start looking through what they actually delved into in terms of their analysis. But you know what? You're never going to get the full picture of the company because if you just go through those articles, you're only going to understand that particular author's perspective. And that's not going to help you because that, that, particular individual may be looking to boost the share price just to get out because he may be down a little bit on his, on his investment. And so if he gets a couple of people who are ready to, to kind of bid the price up, then he can just sell out and not worry about you. And he doesn't care about a single person who's investing based upon his article because ultimately it comes down to their bottom dollar. Everybody's in the market to just make the money that they desire within their life. So it's very important that you need an important aspect of the market that you need to consider. The only person you can trust in the market is yourself. And the knowledge that you have, the the knowledge that you have from pouring over the financials, look, because they're, they're required disclosures that they must provide to the SEC. Now, sometimes are they going to lie? Absolutely. And that's going to end up tanking the stock. But you can find the little red herrings within the documents if you delve deep enough. And if you delve deep enough into those financial documents and you learn about you know what price to earnings ratio r- ratios are and exactly what is going to create the ultimate uh, rise in share, share price for this particular company, then that's where you reach that empowerment in your life because you're not going to care about the noise that's going on around you. You're not going to get care about the people writing articles. You just have a feeling because of what you delved into through the financials and your understanding of the company that there is going to be growth when this, within this company. So you feel completely comfortable, say, buying 500 shares and letting it sit there for a year or two. Because, I mean, look, what you know, Mr. Buffett didn't get to the position that he is because he invested in a short sighted manner. because he would always look at the greater grand scheme of things. And I mean, if you don't do that and you don't feel comfortable investing in the long term, then you probably should not be in that stock and you should probably only trade it for whatever profit that you deem fit and then move on to the next one and find a stock that you feel comfortable with in order to achieve that growth. Otherwise, you know, it's fine. You could be a day trader, But unless you got to figure out what your goals are, because if you don't figure out what your goals are, then you're going to get scared in any market crash. You're going to end up losing money. I've heard of people who during the the, the recent market crash had like 500,000 in their their, uh, 401k. And then guess what? It crashed down to about 150. Completely panicked, sold out, lost all that money. Guess what? The market bounced right back up. And so then they were out all at least with 75 being at least only maybe 25% down and regaining and having about 75% of their original investment pre-market crash. So you really have to trust in your instincts and make sure that you understand the market or whatever stock that you're invested in.
0: Thank you. And Oscar, would you like to add anything with that?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, so one, going back, I would say, you know before you get into anything, educate yourself. Like Chris said, there's, there's financials that they're required to disclose. Really understand your strategy and be ready to stick to it because when the market's up, anybody can tell you the next stock. Everybody wants to get in. But your strategy long-term is really tested when the market takes a dive. You know, it, it, like, like he said, you know, it dipped in March to like, I think, 18,000 points. And then it popped right back up like the next week. So to me, that's when the lows are when your strategy is tested. So I think a lot of people, they get scared. They read into the media. Um, they read articles that they are normally outside of their scope of interest. And they get easily influenced like, hey, I got to sell before I lose money versus, you know what, this is your strategy. You invested in this company because you really stood behind their product and what they were doing Then stick to your guns. So one, know your strategy. And two, again, don't get emotional. Just don't. Uh, The market's designed for people to make money, you know, over time. Again, I'm not into the, you know, stock picking. I I tried that and it it was just too much work for me on top of what I normally did. And I found an alternative that really works for me in low, um, low cost index funds. You know, you can open up brokerage accounts where you have access to the money, you know, to pay off bills or, or to kind of invest or, you know, whatever it is, whatever your prerogative is, there's something for you. But you have to know what works for you. So my thing is either if you're going to be stock picking, know your strategy, don't get emotional. And if you're looking for an alternative, um, I, I always recommend people look into low cost index funds as a long term strategy just because there's less um it's not as overwhelming to some people who know that investing for the long term is important. If you
0: use any programs or algorithms personally, I and mean, when diving into the stock market.
2: Personally, no, again, I'm, I'm not a big uh, fan of, of the stock picking itself. Um, I'm, I'm more into the, you know, low cost index funds, kind of just consistently investing my money and watching it grow over time. Um, in terms, what was the other piece? Um, algorithms, programs or algorithms? Uh, in terms of programs, I'm not sure if, you know, apps or, or or whatnot fall into that realm. Um I, I follow I just use basic apps that most people can understand. Um, you know, I use I use an app called Vanguard. I use um there's a phone on Apple, you know, the Apple finance app. I can just whatever markets I want to watch, whatever stocks I'm interested in, I can put that in my queue and just kind of just see how they're trending. I get up to date articles. Um I can see if they've released their, you know, their 10 Q's or 10 K's for the quarter. And then I can kind of just dive in on things like that. But you know, anything more technical than that, I don't.
1: I mean, I I think it really comes down to an individual's preference. I mean, you like, like I said, you know, you really have to dive into what, what what different strategies are. I mean, people look at the charts and people look at cycles and, you know, there could be a down cycle in a particular stock and then you just buy in on that down cycle and it goes back up. Does that always necessarily work? No. Because I mean, there might be a down cycle in J.C. Penny and then guess what? You invest and they go bankrupt. So I mean, you you really need to make sure that you always dig in those financials and understand what type of strategies you're using. Because ultimately, you know, if you're a momentum trader and you're just looking to make that quick buck, then you're looking at stock. Let's just say, you know, I like to invest in biotech because that usually has the um, most output for, bang for your buck, so to speak. Um, so when you're looking at, at biotech and seeing, oh, you know, there's there's a run on a particular stock, should I jump in just for that momentum? Well, the thing that I'm going to look at is I'm going to look at the 10-day volume. Let's say the 10-day volume is about $3 million, okay? And then at, uh, for, that's essentially um, the shares traded during that 10-day period. Um, and then right now, you're looking at the, um, the volume at like $6 million, but the actual share price is doubled, okay? To, uh, if, if you're looking at that, okay, and you're looking at the volume, and the volume has almost doubled, and the stock price has gone up $2 dollars, the chances are, it, unless that volume is going to increase more, there's going to be a downtrend with people taking profit. Okay. So, I mean, th- these are just little strategies that you can look at in order to determine whether or not it's, it's prudent for you to be able to invest in the stock. And ultimately, like I said, you know, if you have money that you want to play around with and that you, um, you really don't mind losing in the market, then, you know, you, you can practice, you can, you can look at different things. And I mean, different trading platforms have, have different capabilities. Certain trading platforms will allow you to play around with fake money just to be able to get an understanding about options. You purchase a fake option, you see it, it basically follows in terms of how it's going within the market and what your potential profit would have been. You know, it may have tanked. Well, lesson learned. Then you move on and you look for the different trends within different stocks and say you want to do options again and you look and then maybe you look out on that particular one and then you go back and you analyze, well, okay, why, why was this one successful and the last one not successful? Because ultimately, what's going to happen is you're going to start to learn and understand why you lost on that first trade and why you were successful on the second trade by basically breaking it down and be able to understand. So it's always going to be better to play with paper money if you don't feel comfortable, you know, you know just fake money. Sorry, not paper. It's <laughs> a so fake money so that you're able to figure out the, the process and trying to um, break down why a particular trade functioned versus why one did not and so um, that's always something that you ca- that you can do. And I forget what exact trading platform does it. I've heard Webull. I've heard other trading platforms. I think Robinhood might do it. Um, but you know that those are things that that are that you're able to use. So you may like another different brokerage account. But say you want to you just want to practice, and then you you open up an account with like a hundred bucks, and then you play around with it to see what you're able to make. Because the last thing you want to do is create a a brokerage account and then open up a margin account. Where you, you can be ultimately liable for, for unlimited losses. And I think that that's one of the biggest things that um, you know, traders who are starting out really don't understand. They think that they grasp a particular function within the stock market, and then they try to broaden their horizons and look in the options or they look in the short sales and margin accounts. And that's really where you end up losing a lot more money. I mean, you could lose your house potentially because guess what? The brokerage account, if you don't have sufficient funds to be able to place in that account, Trust me, they're going to come after you and make sure that they get paid because you failed to um, adequately uh, manage your risk. So it's very important that you understand what you're doing within the market and start small, work bigger, and then eventually um, work to a comfort level that you're satisfied with to be able to grow your wealth.
0: Thank you, Christopher. And um, definitely Oscar as well for all all sharing such, such great insight, really. And what I really like about what you're, you're talking about, Christopher, is like the strategies. You're, you're very yeah. strat- inclined and really appreciate that a lot. So with my next question, why is it imp- and think of strategies, right? Why is it important for Latinas to be investing in the stock market? And how can Latinas support each other in the stock market? And Simone, I'd like for you to start with that question
3: um so i honestly am not very sure uh, i understand much about the stock market like i just recently understood what a credit score was so (laughs) i'm very like new to financial literacy but um with that being said like i feel like it would be at least my exposure so far to the stock market has been like my peers who have been in like pyramid schemes that have to do with trading so that's something that i've seen going around a lot (laughs) um (laughs) you know like 18 to like 25 year olds who are just trying to make a quick buck and like coming from situations where they're like tired of working 60 hours a week for 11 dollars an hour like it's definitely appealing to want to make money very quickly so i feel like something that would be important to see maybe not specifically to latinos but that's just my community is like maybe like for a First, like surface level um, understanding of what the stock market is and maybe knowing like, okay, like this is the demographic for somebody who gets into the stock market. Like this is the amount like somebody was talking about, like you could lose your house if you invest too much in the stock market. Like this is how much money you need to be able, um, what's it called disposable income that you need to be able to invest in the stock market if you really want to get into this. Like I feel like those things would be important to know. And then afterwards, like personally, like I feel like I would want to hear what everyone else to say about why it's important, like just in general, to invest in the stock market. Um, because yeah, I'm not sure if I see the bigger picture, but I'm very interested.
4: Thinking about this and like, you know, why Latinos should really, or you know, Latinx folks should be investing in the stock market. I think, I think that the stock market wouldn't really be moving as much if it wasn't for the work that Latinos do so I think like maybe finding a way to disseminate the information that like even like the conversation we're having right now I feel like I'm learning a lot from all of you and I feel like it's beneficial to have these conversations and I feel that everything everyone is contributing right now is really accessible and it and I think that um I guess like my whole like answering to this question is just I think it's important for latinos to also being uh being contribution and being able to participate in the system that like also benefits off of like the labor that they're doing so i think um just making like that like all this knowledge like accessible and like being able to disseminate it all. And just really like if we see, or like even if we hear like conversations, like I feel like sometimes it's like, oh Julano de Tal said that if this happens, then this is gonna happen. And it's just like, we hear a lot about word of mouth from one another. So I think that once we hear something, instead of being like, oh, no quiero ser metiche y no meterme, like blah, blah, you know, like I don't wanna like intrude on their conversation. Like, I think we need to have like this, um since it's a responsibility of all of us to be able to educate one another especially like if we know that there's something that they know that may we know that may not be correct and being able to be like oh well actually this like maybe be wary or even of like um it's funny because me and my friend were talking about like pyramid schemes today and how are a lot of a lot of our friends from high school that um you know didn't get to go to college or you know are working like jobs where they're being like exploited like you know wage and hourly um you know they're not able to have like this big amount of income coming in we need to be able to explain what the stock market can do for them and how you know like how they're able to really access it yeah
0: yeah thank you um we're going to go with christopher then oscar
1: Well, I think it's very important for um, Latinos to be able to be invested in the stock market. I think ultimately it's just simply because you need to bridge that wealth gap. Okay. A lot of people come here with basically nothing in their pocket and they they struggle. They get the jobs that they can get. Um, You know, my mom was a housekeeper and then, you know, she met my dad who was the uh, the manager in the housekeeping area. And so, you know, that's how they met each other. But I mean, like, uh, you know, a lot of individuals, they work various jobs and, you know, they're struggling. So, I think it's very important that it, that financial literacy gets taught because if you 're not financially literate, you should not be investing in the stock market. you have to be able to start somewhere. you have to be able to have a base before you can actually build build any sort of building on top of it there's no foundation that you're not whatever you build will eventually topple over and so you need to be able to get that foundation that foundation is going to be financial literacy. so I think what we can do is, as Latinos is to be able to spread that knowledge to other individuals. And I mean, you could, you could mentor somebody and just, or mentor a group of people or you know, just go into a school and say, you know, hey, you know, I, I don't think that um, a lot of uh, individuals may understand financial literacy or it's maybe not taught in the school, but you know, I, I think I would really like to be able to go in, this, go, go in and maybe for an hour or so, be able to teach some financial literacy to these to the students. Do you think that's a good idea? What do you think? And st- kind of start that dialogue to be able to present it. I mean, there's a lot of community groups I mean, um, like one community group here in Las Vegas, um, uh, Randa Mexicana, entonces, they they, they help and they teach people and you you could just go in there and you could ask them whether or not you want to teach a class on financial literacy to be able to help these individuals better understand how they should be spending the money, how they should be saving, how they should be structuring their mindset versus, you know, sometimes, you know, I hate to say it, but sometimes Latinos kind of get into the race of how much you own especially when you first get here into this country. You try to see, well, I can do better than this person or I can do better than this person. And you know that's not really what it's about. Some people do it, obviously, not everybody, because other people are more focused on, on developing their families. But I have seen it within the culture. So um, it's really about the base. So teaching financial literacy to, 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 to younger individuals and being able to cultivate that. So ultimately, you can spread the larger knowledge base of how they can, they can build their wealth with as well. At the end of the day, it's about taking care of our families. Um, A lot of us sounds like we're
2: first gen. Um, I know I am. You know, a lot of first gen people will be responsible for kind of either retiring their parents or helping retiring their parents, depending on what they did for a living throughout their life. Um, A common example I give because, you know, in the Latino community, we love to have cash. We love to have cash. You know, I remember my dad growing up, you know, as I was going from um, high school to college, you know, he told me he had you know, X thousands of dollars saved somewhere in the house. You know, now that I know I'm like, Hey, have you had invested that back in 2000? That's to now that's, that's 20 years of growth that you could have had, you know, versus just leaving it in cash, um, you know, under a mattress. Um, so one, I think it's important for us to invest because we need to close that gap. We need to make generational wealth to where not only are we taking care of ourselves, perhaps our parents, but we're setting up our kids. To kind of just build off what we know and uh, again it starts with literacy one we have to ourselves find education we need to teach our peers and then also we need to pass that same knowledge down back to our kids so they can just kind of hopefully make leaps and bounds past where we're at Um, two and we need to also understand how the stock market works um, at a fundamental level you know historically the market has always gone up yes you're going to have dips about historical data says about every you know 10 to 12 years but on average, the market will return 8% on your money. And that's being very conservative. Somewheres is upwards to 12%. So if you just understand how your money being reinvested over time, and I'm just going to give an example. If you were to invest $500 a month over 40 years in whatever vehicle you decided to, and your returns were about 8%, at the end of 40 years, you'd have $1.7 million. And it's just... It starts with small things, being educated, being disciplined, making that first investment, and just kind of just staying with it and learning more and more and kind of just teaching others as we go. To me, that's how I really think we can kind of just help each other and uplift our community at the end of the day.
0: And, and Oscar, just a quick yes or no. It, there's nothing that's preventing, for example, 10 people putting in $50 to get that 500
2: right? Um. No, there's not. If, if that's the strategy, they, they choose to go down. But what I found, like I'm assuming you're like, I'm just thinking Tandas, right, right? Right off the bat. What, I've, what I often find is, you know, somebody always tends to have some type of emergency comes up that kind of throws off the group. And then they're kind of back in the hole trying to catch up and pay. So um, to, to me, I just think even if it's $50 from an individual perspective, you could do the same thing until you can work yourself up to that. $7,500, 150 $500, you know, we don't always have to hit home runs to, to grow our money. We can just worry about, you know, doing the small things to make us better every day.
0: Um, your last words, final message, message of the people, and that is just, what advice do you have for those who are trying to be more financially literate? Same order, starting with Simone.
3: So for those who are trying to be more financially literate, I'm honestly kind of unsure because I feel like the way that I was able to um, obtain financial literacy was by having access to higher education. And that's something that is like extremely inaccessible to most people. So I really wouldn't even know where to start, honestly. But I feel like we could definitely create something like, um, I definitely have a lot of issues with the nonprofit sector. But I do think that if there was or maybe There already is a nonprofit or mutual aid groups that really focus on teaching people financial literacy for free. And like, um, I don't know, it's part of what I wrote in my thesis on like spreading information through spaces that aren't higher ed that are accessible. Like there has to be ways to kind of like educate people on things like this that are kind of like could be even life or death situations like having financial literacy is so important nowadays. Um, And, like, we have to find ways to spread that information that will, like, reach a multifaceted audience. So, like, in my thesis, I wrote about things that people wouldn't really think about, sort of, like, flyers and putting up flyers with information in, like, lavanderias or things like that. Like, starting with very sort of, like, base-level information that would be, like, look, this is what you need to do. This is um, what credit means. Like, just... Things that we wouldn't really expect, I think, is really important on spreading financial literacy.
0: Thank you. And Janet?
4: So for my últimas palabras, um, there's a saying that um, I was told a lot, like, when I was younger, especially by, like, uh, my older brothers was, like, money talks, like, you know, the rest talks. Um, Now that I'm older and I kind of understand it, I'm like, I see that it's true, but I also see that um, a lot of like community cultural wealth, like has a lot to do too with like, um, what we have, like, yes, um, you know, sometimes that doesn't pay the bills, but sometimes we know someone that can put us into contact with someone that can help us. So, um, also like, uh, Simone said, or Simone, um, that we should really like, uh, be having these conversations about like, what we could do better to make this, um, You know, like, continuing the conversation, not just, like, even, like, us, like, not just sitting here and, like, thinking about, like, what we could do and, like, you know, how do we also contribute to, like, people not being financial literacy and, like, what we could do better and just um, remembering that uh, your financial situation isn't always your fault, that there's, um, you know, there's other factors contributing to it, but it also doesn't mean that you can't do anything about it. There's always um, something different that we can look at and, like, remembering to put ourselves in different shoes and being able to do everything that we do strategically. I really like um, what Christopher said, and it's just, like, thinking about, like, your strategy and stuff.
0: Definitely, definitely. And would that say, Christopher?
1: I mean, ultimately, it comes down to financial, uh, the foundation of financial literacy, okay? You have that foundation. You're able to understand what you need to be able to figure out within the realm of your own financial situation. So for instance, you know, I mentioned needs versus wants. Okay. So I, so if you break down your financial situation, obviously everybody likes to get their Starbucks coffee. Okay. Some, some people like to grab their Starbucks coffee a little bit more often than others. But ultimately, um, you know, one thing that I learned is can you break down your paycheck? Can you break it down to the last penny that you spent? Where is all that money going? Have you figured out that you're spending $50 a month in the Starbucks or perhaps more, how can you be able to save? Well, you know, you could, you could buy your own coffee, save that $50, then guess what? Put that $50 aside. Uh, you know, you can treat yourself every now and again, but I mean, honestly, does everybody need Starbucks coffee or does everybody need that uh, McDonald's food that they're gonna pick up? Um, and a- another thing that I feel that um, people don't really consider is what I like to call the other eight hours, okay? Every wealthy individual considers it. What are you doing with the other eight hours in your life? A lot of people have, you know, uh, family obligations, um, are you focused on something that is going to cultivate your own wealth, whether that be the joy that you have with the fa- with your family, whether that be you have a particular interest that you may want to um, create something with to be able to um, maybe springboard into a business, but you're not too happy in the business that you're currently at. So what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do within those eight hours? Are you waking up at eight in the morning or are you waking up at 530 and going to bed early to ensure that you wake up, you get everything that you need done, you have a nice workout, you're you're, you're, you're awake, you're able to you know, focus on what you want to focus on in the morning before the kids wake up, and that you're able to say, pick up a book and understand or learn a little bit more about the stock market or whatever you're interested in. Because I guarantee you, every single wealthy individual considers the other eight hours. And I often feel that a lot of people that are struggling or may not be happy in life are not cultivating within themselves what they can spend during those other eight hours to be able to create the happiness that you'll have in your life. Because ultimately, yeah, money is great. But are you happy with what you're doing? Are you happy with your financial situation? Not happy with your financial situation? Have you figured out why? Have you traced every single penny that you spend in your paycheck to figure out that you may be able to save an extra 100, 150 each month that you may be able to use for, you know, if you want to invest in a stock market or you may have a particular need that you have later on down the line that you're able to save that money up for to be able to use? Um, and so that it may, that you may be able to have that for, um, the future and, or, you know, just create your own wealth. And that, that's what you really need to consider when you, when you're looking in, in, into the wealth, it's not necessarily about the money, but are you, in, do you have that joy and what are you doing with the other eight hours in your life?
2: So if you ever have the chance, there's a gentleman by the name of Muhammad Yunus, he has a micro loan program that actually goes on in India where he goes into the most poorest countries, um, poorest parts of India to make microloans to women, to start a business, to, um, you know, open a restaurant, whatever their trade is. And, you know, they eventually pay the money back um, and grow their business a little by little. But he has uh, two books out, one called The Future Without Poverty and the second, A Banker to the Poor. Um, they're really good books. They take a deep dive into in what, what making micro loans can do in third world countries, in areas of high poverty, and, and, you know, how do we uplift those communities so they all have access to the market? So just wanted to, to kind of make, throw that out there.
0: Thank
2: you. Um, so, últimas palabras, um, you know, what advice, would I would get is one, start small. So I know we've covered the stock market, you know, and, and should we be investing, should we not? Um, but what's more important to me are, are the habits, you know, understand your behaviors. Like Chris was saying, do you need that coffee? You know, do you have room to cut back to create that extra $100, extra $200? Because to me, in a consumer-driven country, I would say 95% of us do. Um, You know, and and that's me speaking from personal experience from really diving into my behaviors and cutting it back. Um, The second thing is be intentional. Um, Take the time, self-educate yourself. Um, Don't go out on a Saturday night. Maybe just say, hey, this Saturday, I'm gonna spend some time on, you know, kind of self-care, but in the financial literacy way, I'm I'm gonna read books. Uh, I'm going to try to understand, you know, where do I have more room? So I think really people need to look at is, are their behaviors and kind of just figure out where can they start? Not about, you know, how much money I can make down the line, but where can you start today? And um, again, going back to behaviors and learning about the importance of finance, um, there's also books that I've read and two of the most powerful books that I've read. And I would recommend anybody read them who's looking to get started. One is called The Richest Man in Babylon, um, and I'll put them in the chat. Um, And the second is called The Simple Path to Wealth. Um, These books, no matter what your career is, no matter how much you make, there's room for you to kind of make, even if it's $5 a month, $10 a month to where you can grow that money, you know, for yourself down the road. Um, And I just really think self-education, financial literacy is really ultimately at the end of the day for now up to us until we can make this uh, subject uh, more widespread
3: yeah i I was really um thank you for sharing like that was all very interesting i feel like one thing that um i've been thinking about a lot sort of like within financial literacy on a societal level is um that there is like a lot of advice that we can get on like cutting down our habits and things like that but at the end of the day a lot of wealth that's generated is generational and the percentage of class mobility that's in the US, like the opportunity for class mobility is little to none. It's almost, it's like less than 10% mm-hmm. um, of people who are born in low income families will be able to obtain class mobility. So I feel like, I don't know, um, it's like if I cut down $50 on my coffee, like I'm not gonna be a middle class individual. Like I'm not gonna be able to. Um, be able to afford my rent or buy a house and things like that. And a lot of those things are also systemic and societal. Um, a lot of the wealthiest individuals, like their parents were wealthy. So I feel like those are other things that it, it might be useful to maybe address. Because I know that advice to other people that are investing in stocks is targeted towards middle, middle, upper class um, individuals that might not be thinking about those problems. But um, I guess it's all about like different contexts.
1: Yeah, I have a quick thing to address with the uh, generational gap. Because, I mean, yes, ultimately, saving up $50 isn't going to necessarily create that, uh, try to fill in the gap of the wealth. But like I said, you got to take a look at your um, individual personal circumstances. Because at the end of the day, what some, th- some things that people don't realize is the fact that all that generational wealth is created from life insurance. A lot of it is. Individuals who are able to be able to pay for life insurance, that if they were to die, they have that $1.5 million, you know, insurance policy that gets paid out to their family that then that is able to give them a springboard to be able to create that generational wealth. So, you know, if you look at your type of situation and you, and you say you have $50 a month at the end of the day and you qualify for life insurance, that might be something that you want to look into because you'll be you'll be able to pay those $50 a month for that safeguard that if something were to happen to you, there would be a little bit money aside um, that you'd be able to pay out to your children and your spouse that will ultimately be able to fill a little bit of that gap. Not a whole lot, depending on how much money you're willing to put into it. But life insurance is going to be one of those things that you really want to consider to be able to fill that generational gap. And it's not often something that you know, Latinos consider in general because you know if you, if you tell your mom, mom, why don't you get life insurance? Your mom is going to be like, why? Are you planning for my death? So I mean, it's something that, they, that, that Latinos don't really like to talk about. And so it usually ends up in, a, in some sort of a fight or some, some sort of plot that you're trying to um, end their life. But I mean, at the end of the day, that's something that's very important to talk about with families to ensure that you bridge that generational gap, or at least have a safeguard that if you pass before your children, you know, reach college, that they, you may have a lifeline for them to be able to achieve their goals and pursue something greater that may be able to create, be able to bridge that gap for their life.
0: With that said, that is all the time that we have. Thank you everyone for joining us. For everyone at home, make sure you like the video subscribe to our YouTube channel, and listen into our podcast platforms from Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Music. Also comment below and share any of your financial literacy and stock market tips and tricks. Then follow us on all our social media outlets at Latin underscore entertainment. That is Latin underscore entertainment. And join the support LatinA business Facebook group. As this episode ends our third season of Conversamos, Get ready for our second season of Support Latine Businesses, which will air for September and October during LHM. This show promotes Latine-owned businesses through interviews and in-depth coverages. See you then on Latin Entertainment, and thank you all for joining us this season.
1: Yeah. Yo, is it that wrong? I'm making a song, I'm taking it back for the platform that I formed.
2: Helping me transform. I run the